That's how Ginger come up with stick five rods. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I assume something with the five. Yeah. But... You know, so the five's a five fish limb and the stick is a local dude you got to beat, man. Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of the Hunter Fishes podcast. Very excited to have this podcast going. We've got the man behind Steak Five Rods, which is who presents this podcast, Mr. Jim Fowler here with us. Uh, we're going to dive a little bit into the rods, into Jim's life. I don't know a whole lot about Jim, so we'll see see if he's getting top secrets that he's not supposed to tell me. Not many, not many, brother. Jim, how are you doing? Good, man. First thing, uh, we're we're proud to have you board, man. We're uh, excited. Stick Five's uh, excited, excited for the opportunity, and I uh, look forward to the, the year upcoming and, and everything. Oh, I know good things are going to happen for all of us this year, so we're excited to have you board, buddy. I'm tickled, man. I, uh, I'm i excited about it, excited about this podcast. I, I was saying earlier, you know, I've done a lot of podcasts, but I've never been the host of one, so we'll see how this all works out. Hey, it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. It's going to yes, be sir. a fun deal for yes, you. Sir. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's just jump in a little bit. Um, so, I Googled a little bit. I thought, well, I'll do a little, a little work on Jim Fowler. Did little... you know you're like a zoologist? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then I thought, well, we'll, we'll, we'll do Jim Fowler- Arkansas. So I Googled that. Well, you're a professor and a lawyer. I'm a little bit of everything. So, you know, apparently yeah. I couldn't find a whole lot, so I'm just going to have to. Hey, that's that's good. That's low key, right? That's right. But that's right. It's a little short, funny story to talk about Jim Fowler. Um, Mutual Omaha zoologist, dude. Uh, I flew his airplane, uh, the Falcon that we had. I flew the airplane that he flew on all over the world. Our company bought Mutual Omaha's airplane, and I ended up flying that airplane. Um, oh Lord, four or five years we flew it. Really? And uh, you'd be surprised at the uh, amount of people you would run into that were I got related to him. You know, oh, that's Mutual Omaha, Jim Fallon. No, it's a different one, different dude. But anyway, it's kind of funny. It's in small world it comes to that. But, but anyhow, go ahead, man. Hold it. I mean, I can. That's what I know of you is you're a pilot. Well, I was, yes, sir. You are, you're a retired pilot. Yes, sir. You're, like to drive a really fast boat. Well. Catch a few fish. Calm down from the fast boats, but the fishing has become more important, obviously, so. <laughs> and, and then stick five. And stick five, yes. Sir. Thing. Yeah. We'll get to that here after a while, but. but. Uh, what about the, the pilot? How, how long did you do that? Um, 30, 33 years. 30. 32 or 33, right at 33 years. So, Were you commercial pilots the whole time? I went through college. Um, I grew up on a farm, and um, my earliest memories of flying, were, we had a dad had a good friend that had a little 7AC champ, and I, I've ridden tractors since I was seven years old, raking hay, belling hay on the farm. And I'd be raking hay, and Joe would buzz over the top of us. It'd just scare the living daylights out of you. Been land in the in the hayfield out in front of us, and I grew up around watching guys do that around airplanes. So, you know, when I started, I we all wanted to go to college, and so when I started college, at Interstate State had an aviation program, and I kind of I started in the ROTC, and I wanted to commission into the into the armed forces, but uh, I didn't want to fly a helicopter, and so my second year through ROTC, I went ahead and 
joined the aviation program. I got a degree in aviation and got out in the nineties or, you know, it really wasn't much work, you know? So, um, I started slinging bags for, um, Lone Star Airlines out of Hot Springs. It was a little commuter airline. And, uh, worked about a year though on bags. They finally hired me as a pilot. I cost, you know, see, uh, my first year pay was $12,100 flying an airplane <laughs> full of people. Big pay. <laughs> Big pay. And, uh, been a couple of years there and, um, got a, got a, a chance to, uh, get into, um, uh, well, after, after I kind of skipped some stuff that went on there, but, but anyways, I flew every wreck and crate there was, got enough fires, signed back to them, got hired. Um, and then, um, there was, uh, one of my close friends, three of my close friends died in an aircraft accident and, uh, uh, kind of, I kind of quit flying for a while after that. And, um, every time I'd look up, you know, I'd think, man, I'm supposed to be up there. So got back to flying again and, and bought my first, uh, top rating for jet. Every jet requires a top specific rating and, um, built hours, just flying everything I could and then got, and then just worked my way up from there and got hired by a company in Little Rock in 2006, no five, spring of 2005. And, um, been with them until last year, it's been a, it's been a, it, I've been blessed. It's been a good career, but, um, you know, it, uh, um, I tease my dad. I was, I call, I say bad genetics, but I was born with a heart murmur and, uh, I've avoided that as long as I could. And if I had to get that squared away and when I did that, I ended up medically retired. And so wasn't, wasn't quite ready to retire, but it was, no, it was time. I it guess. was time. It was time. You knew it was, uh, I knew for the last three or four years I should have, but. You know, but when it gets to the point to where you worry, start worrying about, you know, your safety, you know, safety of others right. above your own. Well, then, you know, you just know when it's time, you know, how it is. But, but yeah, that led me to, uh, to stick five and that's where I am. So, you know, we had, uh, we both know the story of Gentry and what happened there. And, um, I don't know, I think the good Lord has a plan for you know, everything that, you know, everything that happened, man. You don't always understand it. Uh, trust me. I wish I understood it a whole lot more than I do, but. Um, things happen for a reason and people come in your life for a reason. And that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, you know, I'll tell you real quickly, my, my experience, I like planes. I like flying. I think it's cool. I know nothing about it. Absolutely nothing. I've flown like five times commercially in my life. And then last year, I think you probably know the story. Last year, my wife went to labor and I was in Florida at the Harris Jane for a tournament. She called me the, like during the national anthem the first morning and she said, I'm, in labor, I'm being admitted to the hospital. I was like, oh, no, I've got to go home. So I get on a commercial plane. I fly home. Nothing. I'm surprised they didn't think I was a terrorist because they're like, can I help you with your bags? I'm like, I don't have bags. I don't have Well, what about carry-on? I'm like, just get me, get me to Little Rock. I've got to go. I have nothing I came from above here. And uh, the, I left my truck and boat down there. So I, I decided we had the baby the next morning. I decided I was going to get back on plane that afternoon and fly back and fish the last day of the tournament to try to stay in the championship. And uh, I couldn't I couldn't get a flight. For like four days, I couldn't get a flight. And, you know, drug and boat sitting down there, and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I put a post on Facebook, and a very nice gentleman, friend of a friend, hey, man, you take care of the fuel. I'll get you back to Florida. Got my own plane. Let's go right now. He said, I'll fly to Cersei, which is where we were at, where I live, and I'll pick you up at Cersei Airport, and I'll get you to Florida. I was like, cool. 
Well, he pulls in, and super good dude. So thankfully, he was able to do it. Man, that plane wasn't real big. Like, it wasn't a whole lot bigger than a crop duster. And, and, and I'm sure it was a nice plane. I know nothing about them. But I climbed in, you know, only time I'd ever flown was commercial. And I climbed this plane, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I hope we make it to Florida. And it took like, it took two stops in eight hours. It was not a quick flight back. But uh, it was uh, very nerve-wracking. But one of the coolest things I ever did when we got up, you know, we could see. We never got so high you couldn't see. Yeah. Like, I had service, and I was texting people the whole time. But able to see, you know, Mississippi River when we crossed it and flew. We actually hit Destin and flew down the beach, which was really neat, you know, at night on a Friday night. So, but just the whole thing was cool. But that that is my entire experience yeah. of of being in the air. So, all right. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a great now. You know, nine eleven changed everything for 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 a lot of people around the around the country, around the world, and it sure changed aviation. You know, when I was flying for Lone Star, we could just show your you had an ID, you show your ID, and I could hop aboard American Airline. And, you know, one of my domiciles at the time, I was based out of Dallas. I just showed my, I couldn't count on my own airline to get me to work because they stayed broke down by half the time. So <laughs> Hot Springs was a maintenance base. So we got all those broke down airplanes up there and from that would come in from the system. You know, we, you know, my leg might be to Hot Springs to Dallas to Brownsville down to Chihuahua, Mexico, or Brown, and, and then reverse it back to Hot Springs. Well, we would always pick up an airplane in Dallas that was broke or needed to be fixed, something wrong with it, and need to come back to the maintenance base. So we'd carry it back to the maintenance base. Well, the next day, you know, I'm, you know, I might do that on my going on my four-day off period, and I'd be off three days. Well, then I'd need to get back to Dallas. Well, I, I never could count on Alone started giving back, so I'd have to go jump American Airlines. You just crawl on board with the, with, show them your ID. That sets you in the jump seat. You'd ride down and get off, and that's that was the end of it. Really, but nine eleven changed all that. Locked cockpits and all the security procedures, and it changed. Um, sure, changed the way people travel. And then, uh, as far as the TSA, what you know, two ounces of shampoo and all that crap that you go through. At security, right. it, it's it's like being manhandled, getting tossed in a prison cell. That's how I look at it. Matter of fact, when we over the last since nine eleven started, when you know, if we would go somewhere, the company would fly somewhere, and we were within twelve hours of home. We could like a lot of times we've got the East Coast. I can rent a car and drive home if it's like if we're gonna be there for a week over the holidays or something. Right, the boss will let us come home. I wouldn't. I wouldn't airline. I'd rent a car and drive home. But I, I despised being treated like they treated the, the how people are treated now, and uh, and then COVID hit, and then they started overbooking all the flights. And like you're talking about, so now you can't find a flight. And if you do find the flight, don't count on getting there anytime soon because you can, you know, if you liable to show up, have your ticket, they'll fill their plane up, kick you off, bump you off, or be delay you. It, it's a crazy, it's a whole different environment now than it was 20 years ago. Late the way everything's changed, you know. But um, love of flying is something that, you know, you, as as a lot of these guys out here know, you know, they've invited me to, you know, to, to ride along. And I've had people invite me to ride along, and it's something I sure miss. Um, but I'm scared to get back in an airplane and do it again because I'm afraid I would really, really miss it. And, you know, at this point, you know, I don't know if I run another medical, so it is what it is. Right. 
but aviation has been great. It's been a great career. It's a, it's a great thing. Um, you know, my daughters, one of them wanted to fly and I discouraged her from it. And I don't know if I did the right thing or wrong thing. So, you know, she's, she's strong willed, strong head and independent. So, um, I don't know. It's been a great, it's a great thing. It's been a good career. So, but, uh, now it's time to move on to bigger and better things. So that's right. It, it kind of, let you move into this stick five role, I, I assume. It did. It did. It, you know, we were, um, when I knew in December they were going to have to do surgery, and and I, I pretty much figured I'd lose my license. I knew that was coming. You know, you know, you pray about things, you worry about things a lot. I didn't know where I was going to end up or what was going to happen. And, um, you know, then I had the opportunity to invest in stick five with Gentry and, I, you know, you pray about a lot, and I thought about it a lot. I, I believed in the product, and and um, I said, "Hey, let's do it," you know. And that's what, and then we jumped in when we jumped in with all four feet, you know. And then, uh, and then May came along, and Gentry had his heart attack, and that changed everything over again. And um, then it was time to uh, really commit to it, and um, which we did, and and we're doing great. Excited about it. Like I said, there's. Uh, we got a lot of great things happening. You're you being one of them, man. I mean, I appreciate this that. coming year is going to be a, um, you know, every great project takes a foundation, and and through the help of you, or let me back up through help of friends, God, family, um, D and T. These guys have been phenomenal in 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 their media and and the growth and. And things even behind the scenes that none of you guys have any idea about that they've helped me with. And, um, man, you can't get trying to grow a brand like we're doing with Stick. It, you know, normally it starts with the great product, which we got. Right. Um, uh, and then it's easy to chase that dream if you really believe in the product. And, and, and it makes it easy. And, and, and these guys, Without the all these pieces of the puzzle that fall into place, um, that I had nothing to do with, um, without these pieces falling into place, and you know this wouldn't be happening. And and so there's a great number of people behind the scenes, uh, and, and and people in the scene. You got you all my you know Curtis and Hank and Sam and, and all these guys, the pros that have stepped out here. These guys that are helping us expose this this product and this ride to the to the to the customers or to the world, you know, it's um, it's not a one it's not one person does anything; everybody does it, right? You know, and it's been a great experience. And like I said, we're gonna have a great we got a great year coming up, and and um, we're all excited about it. And look forward to see what happens. What kind of goals? I mean, you want this to be a national company, I assume. Is that that your goal? You want these in every state, dealers in every state. Yes. Um, you know, anything, try to find right where, you know, anything good, it, you know, generally don't happen fast, obviously. Right. Yeah. So, but um, my goal is to grow a company um, based on a reputable, phenomenal product. Um, you know, I don't want a rod. I mean, you know, everything, everything is man-made can break or there can be faults, but 
you know, I, I, I want to build a rod that the guy can carry out and fish with and not have to worry about it breaking. Um, um, and and, if, and if, if for some reason, you know, it, it, it did break, um, you know, I, I don't have to worry about waiting six months or a year to get a replacement, you know. I mean, that, that, that's, you know, that's not the deal. That's not what, that that's not Gentry's, Gentry's vision. That wasn't his vision for the company or for the rod. He wanted to build a premium rod at a price that, you know, the everyday guy can afford, but he wanted to build a rod that, that, like I said, was premium. I mean, it means it's ever bit a good efficient rod as a, as a seven, you know, six, seven hundred dollar high end rod. You know, it, it comes in at a, at a much cheaper price point. And, and the guys that are picking the rod up that are leaving these high end rods are picking them up and saying, man, this really is, a, you know, it's a good rod. Jimmy did a lot of work on them, did a lot of homework, you know, and, um, but customer service, availability, the fact that it's an American-made rod, something that's built right here in Arkansas, um, that's a big deal for, you know, for, for, for me. I mean, you know, we have, um, without getting, you know, without getting into politics of, of China and the U.S., and which that, that's, a, that's a whole new can of worms, but one of the matter is, you know, it, it's great to have a product that, that's made here in America by Americans, you know, and uh, instead of being three dollars a day labor to build a rod, you know, you know, we're at, you know, we're at American, we're paying, you know, American wages to build a rod. There's, there's people that company that's building our rods. We're supporting by buying rods from them. We're supporting American family. We're supporting Arkansas families. And there's pride in that, you know. And so, yes, there's, there's a lot of pride in the fact that we have that. As part, you know, as part as as part of the company, you know, we can't, you know, we can't offer a fifty nine or seventy nine dollar rod. We we right. we just can't compete with three dollar a day China labor. It just that the idea is what it is. But in the beginning, that that's not what Jitchy wanted to do anyways. He wanted to build a rod that would compete with. You know, I, I don't want to get into names. You know, I don't. Right. I'm not going to name brands up, but the high end rods and everybody knows what they are. You know, we want to build a rod that is ever bit as good as that rod, but at a price point that's that 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 me or you, the normal fishing guys, can afford. You know, you know, as a kid, I'd buy H and H spinner bait for seventy nine cents. I don't know if you remember it, right? You know, you buy a beetle spin for I remember buying beetle spin for nineteen cents a piece. You know, and now I bought five uh, rock crawler crankbaits of the day, twenty two dollars a piece for a crankbait on it. You know, and then like you talk about hundred dollars or three hundred dollars for a glide bait. I mean, everything has gotten so high in price, and but yeah, you know, is is it the, has it really changed? I mean, are we getting are the baits that much better than they used to be? Are the rods that much better than they used to be? Are the are the boats? I mean, hundred thousand dollars for a bass boat now. I know. I can remember what three or four years ago when Ranger come out with the. The L, the five, what it was, five twenty one L, and everybody's talking. About, oh, one hundred and three thousand. They will never sell. Now everything's a hundred thousand dollars. It's crazy. And you know, even my short fishing career, uh, you know, I had my first boat in the early two thousands. It was a ninety nine Triton with a two twenty five, and I think I gave like twelve thousand dollars for it. You know, and it by no means was new, but it was a pretty nice boat. You know, and it, it's crazy. But what I've always said, you know, like Mega Bass Jerk bait was the first expensive bait I ever bought, and I said I didn't need them. I went to the first Toyota series I'd ever fished, and it wasn't a Toyota then. It was called like a, I don't know, Strand or something. It's ever start way back. But I went to Lake of those Arts, and everybody, everybody said, 
Mega Bass. You better have a Mega Bass jerk bait. Like, whatever. I'm not paying. Then they were like $45 for one. Up there. <laughs> and I, I was like, I'm not paying for a Mega Bass. My co-angler was from there, and he had a box full of Mega Bass, and he stomped me. <laughs> and I made him. We actually had parked in the bait store parking lot, and I wouldn't let him get in his truck to leave till he went in with me and told me which Mega Bass to buy for the next day, and I bought like four of them. And, but, you know, in my mind, that, you know, we were fishing for whatever, $30,000. What's $40 purchase on a $30,000? You know, if it wins $30,000, or if it even makes a check and it's $3,000, right. what's a $40 purchase? And the same goes for rods now. You know, like, what, yeah, they're two, you know, 279 280 What is that if that rod has a sensitivity or the ability to win a tournament? You know, that $100,000 tournament, is that a local one on Lake Hamilton for 1000 It doesn't matter. It's more than you pay for the rod either way, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, it, and it's, like I said, the, it is about the product, exactly what you're talking about, you know, and, uh, um, you know, we talk about sensitivity, you know, in, in, in the rods when I've learned a lot about fishing rods. I mean, you know, until this past year, I've been a recreational guy. You know, I, I spent the last three years trying, you know, chasing hundred mile an hour in a bass boat. I, I, instead of, JT gets so mad at me, instead of, instead of being out fishing, trying to locate fish, I'd be out trying to break a hundred mile an hour in my boat. I'd be running all over the daggum lake, you know, and, you know. But so I'm learning a whole lot more about fishing and about the fishing rods industry and how rods built, you know, and, you know, the sensitivity of a rod is, is, is devised through the blend that you use, the blank that you use, how you build it. And you, there's a fine line between everybody wants a light rod. They want a rod that's bounced. They want, they want a rod that's sensitive. So there's a fine line between a sensitive and a light rod. I mean, you can make it so light and so sensitive, now you give up strength, you know. And and that was one of the big things that, you know, we, Jake and I talked about when, when he was designing these rods and built them is we want the best we can get of all worlds, you know. And I think we kind of got to there with, the, you know, around a four-ounce fishing rod, you know. But a lot of that's the way they're bounced. And um, you want a rod built for a specific purpose, an A-rig rod, which you, you've seen them. You know, you throw the A-rig rod, it'd make, it, it would make a great, it's a punch rod too. It'd make a really great jig rod, heavy and heavy cover, or a, or a big worm rod. But like I said, it, it, it's, it's designed for an A-rig rod. So, you know, when you're fishing a rod, it's got a, you know, it's got a little bit of tip to it, a little tip weight. So, you know, naturally with the real one, what the rod wants to tip forward just a little past neutral, um, take that off, uh, add about an ounce to the back of the rod. Now you've got a rod that's bounced perfect for we were just talking about jig fishing or, or other things. So, you know, I've learned a lot about fishing rods and how they're designed and what they're made for. And it's hard to find. There's some rods that will meet a large criteria of, of applications. And then there's some rods that are designed just what they're designed for that are, that, that you can use for two or three different applications may not be perfect for one, but will be perfect. I mean, all that will be perfect for one. Right. And so, you know, we've done a, Gentry did a, did a lot of work, did a, and it did a great job on, on sensitivity, especially for me, this, the sensitivity of these rods are, um, man, you know, Texas rig, jig rod this summer, I spent a lot of time with it in my hand. And especially on the gray, we're fishing brush piles because there's no grass, you know. So we end up fishing brush piles a lot. There's one big tree down toward the end of the lake 
that every time, every Tuesday night I'd go out, I'd catch two or three fish off of it. And it was standing about 20 feet of water and the tree standing straight up. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's a 15, 18 foot tree, big giant tree. I'd throw a worm out there over that thing, backside of the tree, bring it up. I'd hit a limb. You tell you know, you know your worm is vertical on that limb. And I'd, I'd, so I'd up and down, work it, worm up and down that limb. I could feel the grit, the dirt that was on the limb that accumulated that the, that the uh, line was hanging on. And as I worked that bait up and down, that rod is so sensitive, I could actually feel the grit in the line through in the, in the, in the rod. It's crazy, you know? And, um, but at the same time, you know, um, I wasn't afraid to fish the rod, hook, you know, six pounder and brush. You could, you could turn her and get her out of brush. Right. So, so, um, it's a big, the sensitivity is a big deal for, for me. And, um, uh, again, I'm learning a lot about these things, man. So, so it's, it's been a big, it's been a big learning process and, uh, I sure don't know. I, I sure don't know a lot about it, but I'm learning. So, well, and, and the big thing with the rods, there's so many different brands and you can't just buy one and, you know, shipping's expensive to get, yep. you know, or, you know, more expensive than buying a jig. So these shows I think will help you yeah. immensely. It gets them in people's hands because they can look at a jig on a website and go, I like the way that looks, I'll buy it. But the rod, they can, they can say, well, I like the way that looks, but I don't have a clue what it feels like. So they may not buy it. So I think as we start getting them in these shows and then people's hands, they start selling. Yep. You know, if, if Bob over here has one and five of his buddies see it, then they don't want to order them online. Right, right. You know? We're confident enough in the fishing rod, in the design, the bounce, the way the rod's built. We're conf- I'm confident enough to give that kind of a guarantee because I know that if a guy will buy the rod and they'll fish it, they'll buy another. They'll buy another. Okay. I mean, it, it's just, I mean, a fishing rod, yeah, you know, I don't want to sound wrong when I say but you can't do but so many things fishing rod. A fishing rod is fishing rod. Right. But but the, like we talk about, I think it's the best looking rod on the market and then uh, we use some of the best components. I and mean, we don't you obviously we don't, you know, it's not a, a torazite ceramic titanium eyes and all that. I mean, you know, you can get into spending, you know, thirty or forty dollars. well, I've seen an I one eye twenty seven bucks for one eye. And you're talking about putting ten eyes on a rod, you're talking about two hundred seventy bucks just worth eyes. So, I mean, we've got what we feel is the best components at uh that serve the purpose for fishing what we do um you know the weight savings between the titanium eye and and like the concept oh it's very you're talking tenths of an ounce uh and, and it's so minimum that you know you make you end up making a rod that sometimes can be so expensive that only the elite is you know or somebody that wants the most expensive rod want to buy it they don't really make the rod better Status symbol. It, it, that's it. That's it. You know, status symbol. But uh, um, I forgot where I was going with this whole thing. Now <laughs> I was going somewhere with it, and I forgot where I was going. But uh, what did you ask me for that? I can't remember. I don't even know. Man, 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 I'm telling you, my mind is my mind's crazy. But but no, man, they're they're uh, they're they're right. You know, and and um. We used all the best products we can to build the best rod we can, you know. Pushing it to the limits. Speaking of pushing it to the limits, talk to me about, about fast boats. Oh, man. It's an addiction. <laughs> it's a sick one, but it's an addiction. <laughs> um, it's a drilling rush, man. It, it's uh, uh, 
of course, I grew up, you know, fast, you know, I grew up building hot rods and racing cars and, um, obviously fast airplane, you know, the only thing I really have never liked is fast women, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, so, so luckily I've been married to the one right woman for 20, almost 28 years coming up in about a week or so. So, uh, but, uh, man, I got off into, um, my first bass boat was, a. Uh, uh, 87 laser tunnel hole. It was a 17, 18 foot boat. Had a 150 Merc on it, and the thing had run GPS in the time. Of course, GPS at the time looked like a bread box, but I had stowed one, or let me back, I had borrowed, temporarily relocated a, a GPS of one of the airplanes we were flying and put it in the boat, and the boat ran like 83, 4 or something with a 150 on it. Oh, my. You know? But it was a tunnel hole, you know. You could put your hand in your lap across the lake and go. Now, you might not have kidneys when you got to the other side, but, but it would go straight. And, you know, I remember that boat. And then, you know, like I said, I was a recreational guy. I got a, you know, I got off into, into oh, Lord, everything, but a shooter. Now, I'm, I've been a long-range shooter for a long time, and I've competed in that for a long time. And I got off in that for a long time. And then uh, I met Gentry, and he was a fishing fanatic. And so we started fishing, and I got the bug for another boat. So I bought a 20 PHX Phoenix, brand new one. And, um, Lord, that's been six years ago, maybe seven. I don't know. It's been a while. And, of course, I put a Yamaha on it, and it didn't go fast enough, so I flashed it <laughs> and got to the 80s with it, and it ran. And uh, it was a great boat. And wanted some faster, so I bought a bullet. And um, that didn't work out like I wanted so I I got I got rid of the bullet and bought and bought a uh, ballistic, and it was pretty it was for a twenty two foot boat. I think it was twenty two four, where that boat length was. It was a big boat, you know. Uh, first one with the three hundred R ran in the mid nineties. Wanted to go faster, so we built the carbon fiber boat that ran one hundred three. Oh wow! I didn't realize that. Yeah, I, I, Jim Jim built me a carbon fiber boat and uh, didn't save but. 250, 260 pounds on the boat, but it made it, it mean you both know the difference in empty live well and a full live well or passenger over there just makes all the difference in the world on performance of a boat. So, um, uh, problem with ballistics were, you know, at that time where everybody wanted one and, um, people were offering more money, a whole lot more money than they had in them. So I sold it. And, you know, when I bought my last ballistic, I had been wanting to buy a blazer for, for a while, Chris. I think one of your upcoming guests, you know, Chris and I have become friends, met him through Gentry, and um, Chris had been trying to get me in a blazer, and he didn't have one big enough at the time, what I wanted, you know, I think the, the 625, the biggest boat he had, and I wanted something a little bigger, and so I ended up buying that second ballistic, and then uh, the blazer come out with the 650, and when they came out 650, it was the big the boat that I wanted, and had a guy wanted my ballistic, so I sold the ballistic and bought a new blazer, so... And then I did something really stupid. I put a supercharger on the back of a blazer. I supercharged that Yamaha, made a, a 250 horse Yamaha into a 500 horse motor. Oh my. And then it become a matter of those saying, if you want to go fast, it costs. So you had to upgrade the lower units. You had to upgrade the engine mounts. You had to upgrade this, you had to upgrade that. And it become, it was a blast, man. It, it was so much fun to drive. You've never been any anything to celebrate like that. I do would go from zero to eighty in um, 
I got it on video at home. It's on YouTube channel somewhere. I think I timed it at 12.8 seconds. Wow. I mean, it was fast. But it, but part of being fast, it wasn't reliable. So uh, it was a fun year and a half. I mean, I had the boat, the, the supercharger on. I think I was able to run the boat maybe half of that time. <laughs> it stayed broke down. Did, the other half. Didn't that break 100? 99 mile an hour, several occasions, fast I could get to go. Really? But now, that, and just 99. Well, just 99. I know that that the boat was capable of running into the into the triples easy, but you know I had power poles on the boat, and then you know you see a lot of people talk about all oh, my boat run hundred. Well, those are the same guys you pass at seventy five in a tournament, right? You know, so but it takes a lot to make a boat run a hundred mile an hour. And a lot of people talk about faster boats, or they don't understand it. It's a matter of mathematics. A 32-pitch prop, I believe it's 10% slip at 6,400 RPM is what it takes to break 100. 32-pitch prop is huge. Just huge. I was turning a 33, and I was putting it on the limiter with this thing I had. The key to it is slip. And, you know, and slip is the, you know what slip prop slip is. Right. You know, it's just the efficiency of a prop, how forward it pushes the boat forward for every time it turns around. You know, and, and so, you know, a lot of these numbers they gathered on out there, you know, Whatever, I mean. But, but yeah, 100 mile an hour is fast in the bass boat, but it's hard to get there. And um, I think the Blazer would have done it. But, you know, I, I got to the point to where the ballistic, we were running it. I, I mean, I really pushed it. I mean, I'd get it above, two inches above pad and get the boat right on ragged edge. And that's where people get hurt. Right. I mean, I, you blow a boat out at that speed, you're going to get tossed. It's just going to happen. And, and I've had some friends hurt pretty bad at it. You know, the ballistic or the, the the blazer with the supercharger at 95 and a half, you know, Israel, me and oh, yeah. Easy would run across a lake. He got video of me hitting a boat wake, my hands in my lap at 95 and a half. Really? The boat would just, the blazer would just, has been one of the most stable platforms I've ever run fast or fished. Um, is it made run 100? No. I mean, I, I'm, I'm Keith would probably, you know, Keith, he, he kind of looked at me sideways <laughs> several months on that deal. And then when I finally got him over, on um, um, Washtenaw this spring, we did the photo shoot, and uh, I went over and I let Keith Keith drove my boat. He just grinned from ear to ear, rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was having a ball in it, but yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of fun. Going fast is fun, but you know there's there's risk involved, you know, and, and it's like everything you do. And um, but anyway, it become the point where it's a liability issue for the boat. Um, when I picked up the stick five order things, you know, it become to where this spring, even before you know, even before Gentry passed, I had started fishing a lot more, and and I rediscovered, um, I, I love fishing again, you know, and you know, as a kid growing up, I I, I carried a, a fishing pole on the back of the boat, and we'd be moving equipment, we'd pass a canal ditch somewhere, and we did, man, my dad would just get so mad at me because he'd look up and he'd be gone, I'd be in the canal ditch, the one with the Zepco thirty three catching fish, you know. And so I, my love of fishing was, has always been there. You know, my mom, you know, she loved to fish. And, you know, every Sunday after church in the spring and the summer, especially I can remember Easter, we'd have a picnic down on the farm on, on one of our big ponds and, and we'd fish all day, you know, and, and we just, we grew up loving it. And, you know, as you get teenagers, you meet girls and you get other things, sports, and you get all this other stuff on your mind and you kind of drift away from that stuff. But, but this spring, um, you know, as I was testing, prototyping these rods and spent, started spending more time on the water, 
instead of running up and down the water, more time fishing. Yeah, you know, I, I rediscovered my love of fishing. You know, I mean, and I learned that you know there, there's a whole lot I don't know about it. <laughs> well, I think but there is that nobody knows. Nobody knows, but you know the joy of doing it, and there's nothing like, um, you know, it's it's almost like a like a drug. You know that 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 tamp on that line. You know, when you set the hook and you feel that rod load up, there's just it's an adrenaline. It, it, that that adrenaline is twice of the adrenaline. Well, number one, fish can kill you. The boat can't hunter. But 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 I mean, really, it's honestly, it's kind of, it's like twice the adrenaline rush that you get of running a fast boat or or dragging a race car or something like that. It's just a it's it's just an adrenaline rush, man. And especially when you get in the tournaments, you know, and you you're like, I know, I need one five pound bite to win this thing, and he bites and comes up, shakes, and you're like, oh my gosh. You're shaking when it's like killing a big deer. It is, no, it is, man. And and that's something that, you know, I Jitchy got aggravated at me because I kinda of drug him. Apparently he used to fish a lot of tournaments years and years ago and I kinda of drug him into it because I'm 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 my personality's way over the top. I can't my wife calls me very abnormal. Because I can't just My wife calls me that. Yeah, she said I can't just do something halfway. I, I gotta go just all in when I do it, you know. And and it's with shooting or, or or hunting or fishing or whatever it is, I tend to just go all in when I do the thing, you know. And uh um uh, it's it's um uh, man, it's just it's a brush, you know. And but no, we got into the tournament deal and, and I kept on gentry. I'm like, Hey, let's compete, man, let's compete. And you're right. Um not I don't compete obviously on y'all's level because I'd I'd get laughed out back for boat somewhere. <laughs> but but you know the, the the competition side of it, it isn't a adds another whole perspective to it. Because you're right, man. You go out there and you want to win. I mean, it might not be for four or five hundred dollars to that tournament jackpot, but you still want to win. Oh, I, it, it don't matter if it's five dollars or five hundred. You just want to win. I, I've told people yeah. before, it doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't matter what it pays. I'm gonna spend more than it costs to win. <laughs> see if I can beat you. That's, you know, that's, that's all there that's is to it. it. Like if I can beat you, I'm gonna try to beat you. You know, in that competition spirit, that that's a spirit that. Hunter, that I mean, obviously anybody that that um, knows you or meets you sees in you. I mean, you mean you know you've never let anything keep you from doing what you want to do. You know, and 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 that that's that's a that's a pretty cool thing. Tell us about it. Tell us about you. Tell us about um, what drives Hunter. How you got started. You know, uh, I mean, tell us your a little bit about your story. Well, you know, I. Uh... I started, I, that's all I've ever known is, is hunting and fishing. You know, my, I grew up in outdoors with, actually my mom and dad both hunted and fished. And so that, that's all I've known. But the competitive part of it, you know, I, I was so, I'm competitive in everything. I don't care what it is. I'm competitive. And, you know, I'm missing both legs below the knees and and can't compete. I actually had prosthetics and played basketball and soccer in junior high about I was terrible. I mean, I wasn't competitive at it, and I wanted to find something I was competitive at, and that's where the, the fishing really came in. It just, you do well, and then you want to, it's like, like you said, it's like a drug. The more you do well, the the more you want to do well again, you know, and it's that, you know, winning 12 to series a couple months ago, like, all I want to do now is win. Congratulations too, buddy. Yeah. Thank you very much. But, but yeah, I mean, it just makes it like, all wins are special, but now I want to win at that level again, you know, yeah. or or bigger level, and it's it's just a it's a never ending. And and I love fishing so much <laughs> that like, 
and I got to the point that I feel like I'm, I'm a decent enough fisherman that I don't have to spend a week in practice, especially on a lake that I know very well. So the last year before I started fishing nationally was the COVID year, 2020, and I fished here in Arkansas, never left the state, fished from March to like October, you know, didn't, didn't fish in the winter, and I fished 69 tournaments. And it's like, I mean, I wasn't in practice with a thing. Like, I'd leave one, and next time boat in the water was another tournament. And it it was a whole nother level. I was actually telling somebody on the phone the other day, it's a whole nother level of having to figure out on the spot what you got to do to catch a fish. Like, there's not, well, here's what I did the last two days. It's like, man, I got to know now what I'm doing. You know, it's today is the day. There's no practice. So it uh, it brought a whole new level. And and that's, you know, I get to travel and fish, but I come home when I'm you know what I'm gonna do on a Saturday or a Tuesday night when I get home? I'm going to the tournament. I mean, that's I still fished like 35 at home this past year, and 12 out of state and 35 at home. But well, that's what you're, you know, in that, in that in that spirit, that competition, that drive. That's what you know. That's what makes you good. It you know it it, it no matter what you do, you know. Uh, and that's something I'm I'm I've been I've wanted to do to the level you're doing it, you know. But like I said, it's it's once you break your you know I'm, I'm gonna compare it to shooting you know in, in f-class shooting we have a perfect score you shoot at 200 uh you, every string counts for 200 points and shooting at 200 is not an easy thing and then you got three strings of fire you shoot every day and that's a 600 you know and make shooting those perfect scores or or, or maybe shooting 100 at skeet you know um making a perfect score is something that's hard to do but once you get there it you you break a mental a mental barrier and once you then it becomes easy from that point forward so or i think so easier anyway well it becomes easier but but it it builds and instills a confidence in you that hey i can do this i've done it it happened you know and and it's that spirit of competition that that you know like you talking about winning that winning that that major you won man You've got a lot more coming. I mean, that that's the exciting part about it for me. I hope you're right. Well, you do. You know, and, and, and it's it's once you break that 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 mental barrier, well, then they just start falling like dominoes. You know, so it, it's just, it's going to be exciting to watch uh, watch you this year see see how the see how the season unfolds for you, man. I'm excited. That it definitely gave me confidence. You know, yeah. that I'd never had before, and fairly confident in my abilities. And and this gave me confidence I'd never known. So I'm excited about it. But with the confidence, you talk about to get to that point comes the uh, the sacrifice of like you talked about. You fish sixty nine tournaments with you know with practice and with the you're gaining every time you're after fishing, you're gaining knowledge, and that knowledge you you apply even unconsciously to everything you do. This thing like and, and I can reflect to that with the shooting side of things. You know, I lay down, I look at a wind or I look at a mirage, you know, you know. And I look at the train, I'm like, hey, I know where this mirage, this wind condition, I, I know where this shot's going to go. You know, and you know that before you pull the trigger. And I pull the trigger and hit Deb Miller's both hit. And that happened because I have seen that a hundred times before. Right. And my thick skull finally learned it and remembered it. And the same thing, you know, it applies to the fishing side of things. You know, you, you look at your water clarity, you look at the temperature, you're, you look at the depth, you look at what time of year it is. I mean, you look at all these things, and it all clicks in Hunter's mind instantly. This is what I should be fishing with. That's the part I'm just you guys about that I've kind of learned. But, uh, and, it, and, you know, that that 
that's why I took on as much as I did. We yeah. left Arkansas 12 times this year because I think 10 of those times was on a lake I'd never seen, and I did it to better my career further down. Yeah. That you know, The more I can put myself on unknown water, the more I learn that I have that experience. And and it's it's all, and like you said, it's all about sacrifice, man. It's, yeah. it's how much, and that's why I get to go speak to like schools and stuff quite a bit. I love to tell them that. It's, how bad do you want it? Because do you want it, you know, just bad enough to show up, play on the football team, or do you want it bad enough to practice when nobody's practicing and be the starter? Because that's the difference. That's the key. And if you don't want it that bad, go home because somebody else wants it worse than you do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nothing, nothing worth worth having comes comes easy. You know, I mean, it, it takes sacrifice and practice and perseverance and and always a, a little bit of good luck. So you know, one thing that you know kids learn growing up is you know just happiness and and just everything's going to be good is is that you think that's true is does it take hard work to get where you need to be or is everything just going to work out the way it should be well that's a loaded question ain't it? <laughs> um you know we I mean you've talked about off camera we, we we've discussed faith quite a bit and and um Faith is a big part of my, important part of my life. I know it's a important part of your life. I mean, you turn these things over as an as you adult, as you come to know Christ. You turn these things over, you're supposed to turn them over and, and not worry and trust that God's plan. He's got it planned for you. And, and then hopefully, I pray every night to have enough sense to jar my head and follow that plan. But as far as the youth go today, um, man, nothing, and I said it a while ago, nothing worth having comes easy or free. And, you know, today's political environment, you know, I'm called an extreme right wing about some people and some people I'm called not far enough. But, you know, this participation trophy crap, and I'm calling it crap because of what it is. Um, and somebody's going to win, like you talked about a while ago. There's going to be a first, second, third, fourth, fifth place. Second sucks. I don't like it. I, I'm competitive. I despise second place. I I hate it. That's not say anything bad about second place, but I want to be in first place. And in order to do that, that takes hard work. It takes sacrifice. It takes perseverance. As you talked about, it takes a guy not willing to show up the ball game, the guy that's going to show up to practice by himself. You know, and today society is teaching not only the kids, is teaching adults and people, you know, that it's to be lazy, that to, to expect something for nothing. I mean, nobody owes you anything in this world. That's right. Nothing. And, you know, the only person that owes you anything is yourself. And that, you know, you get out of something what you put into it, I think. And and, and, and the youth today, man, I'm telling you, my daughters are three great kids. I'm very proud of all of them. They all work. They've all got jobs. They've all got good grades. They're, they, they, they're something every father would be proud of. You're like you will be with yours. And, but, you know, growing up, we, we, we were kind of poor. I mean, I lived out of a garden. I, I hate vegetables to this day. I, I mean, there's very few vegetables that I'll eat because we grew up poor. Mom had a garden about the size of this hangar 
and I got my butt beat every day because I wasn't in it doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I tended to garden. I, you know, I'd ride a tractor from daylight till dark, then come home and have to go out and weed the dadgum garden. And, you know, mama would can and, and every meal was mainly vegetables or would slaughter a cow or, or, or a pig, you know, but we had food. Uh, we had a, a family at home that didn't non-divorced parents, you know, um, uh, we had, I got three pair of jeans and a pair of tennis shoes every year before school started. And I wore a patch of jeans about three weeks in, I tear my jeans up and I'd have patches on my jeans. Mama just wear my tail out over that. But, you know, we, um, I swore to the, you know, Sunday morning before church, uh, I'd take a shower and before I could get dressed in the summer, I'd be soaked, soaked wet, man. We'd go to church. I never, I never will forget putting on that daggum time mom to make me wear. And I would just be, you'd just be, my shirt would be stuck to me, you know. It was hot. We had we had an attic fan in the house. We didn't have air conditioning, and and so it's a different time. Um, I swore that I wouldn't. I'd have air conditioning in my house, and my kids would have more, would have better. And you know, and that took that took you know took work. Uh, had to go to college. You know, I, I wanted my kids to have better, so so I worked harder. Um, not that my parents didn't work hard. My granddad came up in a Great Depression and saw more than 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 any other man I know of alive has seen changes in this world. Not that our parents didn't work harder, but you know, we we, we had the opportunities that they didn't. And so our job was to to take advantage of those. You know, and but what but the point I was getting at in this was I probably given my kids way too much because I overcompensate because I swore that I would not my kids wouldn't have to do what I did. And uh I can't tell me bells. Hey, I, I haul for a two cents a bell, or how many days I've ridden thousands and thousands of hours. I've ridden a tractor at a dollar an hour. What my granddad paid me once I started getting paid finally. Um, so you know, this tough, this this world today, I think, has gotten backwards in a lot of things. The way they look at things, and it's I don't know. Like I said, this this whole these these this whole thing has gotten crazy and changed and. I don't know how the world got turned around as quick as fast as it did with some of that stuff, you know. If you earn something, you reach, you value it, you respect it, um, you appreciate it, and you know all that participation business is for the dogs. I mean, I don't know. You know, I had a, a guy, a local guy that fishes. I heard I heard him say one day because you know clubs got to kicking him out because he could practice during the week and they couldn't, or they're putting off limits on tournament. And, you know, he said, why, why punish me for getting my priority straight and putting off all my, you know, hobbies when I was younger and building a business that I can go practice every day for a tournament now because my business runs itself, you know, and I can, I can leave go fishing. Why punish me for getting my ducks in a row just because somebody else doesn't and they have to go to work and say go fish? And that's, it's, that's completely true. That's a good question, you know, and it's a great I look at that the same way as I look at, you know, like the Tuesday night tournaments. A lot of these clubs, oh, if you've earned over $500, you can't fish in our front. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's BS, man. I mean, I'm not a good fisherman, really. I mean, I'm decent. I mean, I can catch fish, but I want to get beat by the best. You know, if I go out there fish, I want to get beat by Hunter Bogman or, or Spencer Sheffield or all these local, all you local pros. 
I mean, man, I mean, I want to fish against y'all. You know, I mean, you know, because if I do win, then I know I've earned it. That's right. And, and, and you know, it's crazy way people think about things, you know. But, you know, a lot of the guys spend all that money on them boats and fishing and baits and all that, and they feel that it's an unfair advantage for for uh, for for you to fish against you guys, but I mean, hey, what sense of pride do you have if you go out and fish your own home pond that and don't let anybody else come in? You might well be fishing by yourself, right? So, right, um, that's how I see it. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I've been there. You know, on both sides, I've won tournaments and thought, man, that well, that that was technically easy, but that wasn't too bad. You know, I feel like. I could do that again, and I won other tournaments. It's like, oh my gosh, how did I even get out of there? Well, you looked at look the names behind me. How in the world did I, you know, pull that off? And that's that's the ones that you really appreciate. That's it, you know. And I can look at this, and I, I have a kind of a different perspective. You know, I, I talked about my shooting. I, in 2013, I won the national F class mid range championship at Camp Perry. Camp Perry is up on the well. It's at a Sandusky, Ohio, up on the shore on the lake. It's a 104-year-old tradition Camp Perry is, you know. And it was a fantastic place to shoot. And I went up there and I won the national championship. But I did so in a manner that the there was another really big shoot following that about a week after that. And a lot of the national top shooters in the country and the world weren't at Camp Perry. It was the second year they had shot there, and so it hadn't gotten well established. They weren't there participating. So, yeah, I won a national championship, but I don't feel like I won it because I didn't shoot against the best there was. Right. You know, so so it's it's you know it's easy for me to apply that toward the fishing side of things. You know, you know, if I fish, if I if I'm out there fishing and win, I'm gonna win against. The best. Now, I know that's not going to happen because I haven't put in the time, the practice, the experience to do that. And and that's what it you know it all boils down to. What you were talking about a while ago. If you want it, you got to put in the hard work to earn it. I think that's exactly right. Uh, but uh, no, it's a uh, nothing. Nothing ever comes easy or free. That's the best way I know to say it. So right. But oh, what uh, how far a shot have you ever made? Farthest shot. Uh, on a animal? No, target. Oh, um, about 1,200 yards probably. I mean, I have it, you know, around here, I I want to shoot. You know, in F class, we're shooting 1,000. We shoot long range, we shoot 800, 900, 1,000. In mid range, we shoot three, five, and 600 yards. So thousands and thousands of rounds between 300, mainly between 600. 600 where I feel I'm the better shooter, but... Between six hundred thousand yards, tens of thousands of rounds, you know. So, but to shoot twelve hundred or out past that is what they call stream long range, and uh, that's done out in uh, New Mexico, places like that. You know, I've I've never, you know, we don't have a place around here where you can shoot that far. Number one, really, and then a place you can turn loose of a large caliber um, bullet that you don't have to worry about getting away from you. You know, so. Uh, I've never shot really past 1,200 yards a lot. Well, I don't know that I've ever shot past a quarter of that. <laughs> so, so, but uh, no, I, I want to do the extreme long range stuff. You know, they shoot out to, I mean, they're making, um, 
I think now the record's like a four and a half mile shot. Oh, wow. But but they're shooting, you know, 400 to 600 grain lathe turn bullets, and they may shoot at a four by eight sheet of plywood 47 times before they hit it. So, I mean, you just, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's just luck of the draw or, I mean, right. th those guys are actually having to shoot in a restricted airspace because the arc, the arcs, the trajectory, top trajectory of the bullet gets high enough the airplane can fly into it. Really? I mean, that, at that kind of mileage, I mean, it's just, it's like that. You know, at a thousand yards, most of the calibers we're shooting, the top trajectory is about 12 feet. So, uh, and so at 500 yards, the bullet's going to be roughly 12 feet off the ground, you know? So, wow. but, um, but it's, it, it's, um, um, well, I could, that, that's a, that's a, that's a big subject in a rabbit hole. I can go down and talk about all day shooting, man. I love it. I, that, that's something that kind of like the dream of fishing, man, once you do it, it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So tell me a little more about the history of stick five. How did it start? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you hit that, uh, Hunter. Um, Stick Five was was founded, started and founded by Gentry Ford, uh, out of over out of Bismarck is where Gentry is from. I uh, started about a year and a half ago. Gentry started prototyping rods, and uh, in the first of the year, Gentry introduced Stick Five, and uh, Gentry had dreamed of building. You know, we'd been fishing with rods. He and I likes to have been fishing the last five or six years together. We break. You know how it is. Set. You break a lot of rods in a boat. Some so. There's been a lot of stuff. I, I don't. I, I don't. I'm, I'm trying. I, I'm purposely. I, I'm not running. I, I don't want to run down anybody's product to try to make my product look better or stick five look better. That's not what stick five is. That's not the thing of our game. That's that's not it. But we had rods that were breaking. Um, and Gentry, you know, and which is fine. I mean, it, it's a man-made item. It, it, sometimes they're going to break, but the getting them replaced the warranty you know then that, that that's that was an that's an issue and it's still an issue for a lot of these companies that are overseas because products are backed up and you know you know what i'm talking about so gentry wanted to build a premium rod that was made here that we could warranty here we could replace here you know and 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 that's where the dream of stick five started um stick five is was named Stick, the local stick. It, this is a grassroots company. Um, we 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 don't want to be. I mean, Gentry didn't want to see it. I mean, hopefully it'll grow into a giant company. But you know, it's a grassroots company started in in small town Arkansas. You know, and and the local is me. You're talking about a while ago when you fish against some guy, you'll fish against the best. Whatever lake, whatever place you go, every place you go will have a stick, the local stick. And that's where stick come from. The guy you got to beat. Um, five comes from a five, five, five rod, a five fish limit, you know? So that's how Gentry come up with stick five rods. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I assume something with the five. Yeah. You know, so the five is the five fish limit and the stick is a local dude. You got to beat man. So, or gal. So we're going to, anyway, you know, so, so that, that's how he came up with it. And, um, um, so that, that's how stick five, uh, dream started. And then Gentry. You know, he, he he took to the next level. He took the next step. He went and contacted the local uh, company out Harrison. Uh, that's a very renowned company building fishing rods, and started prototyping rods, and 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 then designed a, a, a line of twelve casting rods 
and three spinning rods. And each rod is, some of them are much more um, application specific than others. Um, but all the rods can be used for a lot of different applications. So he did a, he did a lot of homework and uh, did, a, did a lot of studying and a lot of prototyping and design when, when he built these rods, the chatter chicken, the chatterbait rod we built, is hands down the best chatterbait rod I've ever touched. And anybody that will fish it will likely tell you the same thing, um, no matter what rods they fish. But not only is it the hands down best chatterbait rod, it's also a phenomenal uh, 6, 8, 10 D, you know, DT or XD rod, ringbait rod. Even though we've got a jerkbait square bill rod and we've got a crank chap rod, the, the the chatter chicken is 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 a phenomenal rod for that. Um, so so all these rods, every fisherman has a different. Not many fishermen have a have the same exact perspective or take on what they're looking for in a rod. A rod is a unique tool that each fisherman uses, and each fisherman prefers it to be. A certain way so hunter bogman may take that chatterbait rod and, and and decide it's a it's a great swim bait rod instead right. you know so so everybody has a different way but ginger when he designed the rods he spent a lot of time asked a lot of pros so i'm not you know and and put these rod in these guys hand, in a lot of these guys hands and they designed a rod and he would make changes you know i didn't understand when you build a fishing rod you know there's flagging there's marking the tips i, I didn't understand until I got involved, you know, how, what the action and the power of a rod, the tip of the rod, you know, and, and then you learn how the rod's built. So, um, there, there, there was, he did a really good job designing these rods. And, and, um, so I want to give full right here on this podcast in front of God and everybody full credit Gentry for designing these fishing rods, not Jim Fowler. Um, Jim Fowler's not supposed to be sitting here. Gentry Ford is. And unfortunately, we lost a great friend and a great guy way too soon, and he never got to see this dream become reality, and that's what I, I'm so thankful for you and the D&T guy, the, the D&T media guys. I'm thankful for everybody trying to, you know, that, that's a, helping me make this a reality. And And... So I wanted to make sure I gave a call out to to, to the true founding of the company, how it got started, who started it, and the fact that we're just trying to carry it on, you know. And and uh, but that's that's just a quick background on on stick five rods and and how it got started and and what, who we are. Gentry will always be the, the forefront of that for all of us. I think all four years are all of our buddies. Man, you knew the guy. He was a phenomenal guy. He he um. He, he was the best. I mean, he was just, he was a big hearted, um, guy and, and, and honestly, uh, one of the best fishermen I've ever fished with. And Gentry had the talent to make it on a, if he'd ever wanted to, to fish the circuit, he could have done it. Cause he, he could, he could, um, read the water. He could read the fish. I mean, just like I can read the wind for shooting because of the experience he had that experience, you know, and. But but he was he was a great guy. And he let he had a um, Andy and and Lindsay and Laney and Allie the daughters. They're, they're just all good people. 
you know. And uh, so he he's uh, he's missed a lot, man. Uh, you're talking about deer hunting earlier, <clears throat> man. I've sat more on deer stand this year. I have a long time, and I spent a lot of time reflecting on gentry and and because I'm hunt over the same place, you know, he hunted at, and uh, it um it's been a it's been a crazy year, you know. He's missed. He's missed a lot. So. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on. We'll get you out of here so you can go get in a deer stand maybe this afternoon. I hope so. I'm going to try. I got some stuff to get done. I get home. I'm going to try. So, but man, I appreciate you having me on, Hunter. We, uh, uh, we're excited about you. We, um, we look forward to this, to, to this, to the season. Man, it's going to be a great season for us. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. Everybody watching, thank you for watching the first episode. Be sure to check out Stick 5 on all their social medias, which is Facebook, Instagram, and same for me, Hunter Fishes. You can hashtag Hunter Fishes, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and it should pop up with Hunter Bogman Fishing on any of those. Check us out. Give us a follow, and this podcast will be available on all platforms. They tell me. I don't even really know what that means, but that's what I hear. So thank you all again for watching. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Hunter. Appreciate you, buddy. Yes, sir.